you're thinking, just about now, great, I've come on the night that daily makes us feel guilty. I mean, whenever you hear the scripture taught, it's usually, you're like, dang, man, I got a house. I must not be the, you know, be a good enough Christian because foxes don't have holes and, or foxes have holes and birds have nests, but, you know, good Christians don't have homes. You know, or you're thinking, man, if I was following Jesus more, I wouldn't want to bury my parents when they die. Or maybe you've heard it taught that if you really love Jesus, you know, you'd never look back over your shoulder. You'd always keep your eyes focused on what he has for you, and your life would be perfect and straight. And if you're not, well, you're just not a good Christian. But see, I just think that is just a bunch of bunk. That is not the heart of Jesus. That's not what he's trying to teach here. And when I read this, I mean, that's just, and that is traditionally what we read. And, and, and the people who teach this, I think, Teach it that way because it, it, it's, it creates separation between those that are spiritual and those of us that are just kind of not so spiritual a lot of the time. And, and I think, well, who did God really come for? I mean, who was Jesus talking to whenever it says that they were on the road? Was he talking to the really spiritual folks, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? No. He was talking to the the, un, the kind of unspiritual folks, the normal folks in society. When Jesus has harsh words, almost every time he's talking to the religious folks, the people who claim to have it all together, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the priests, the lawyers, you know, the people who say that this is the way you have to live life, and if you don't, you're not as good as me. You know, when I used to live at a house that was on the woods that we just moved from, and I'm still trying to sell if anybody's looking to buy a home in uh, St. John's County. Uh, it's on the woods, like I'm saying. But whenever I get ready to go on, my boys and I, I built a tree fort back there, and which was great for a while. But then they wanted to start exploring behind the tree fort. And behind the, the tree fort that I built was um, like this swamp land. And depending on how much it was raining, uh, or it had been raining, it would, be, like, it would be soggy to water's up to your ankles to you need to bring a raft because you'll be swimming through the swamp kind of thing. And I would always prepare them before we would start the journey. I would say, you need to get good shoes on and, um, you know, boots, and you need to wear long pants. And I would tell them what they were going to need because I knew what was lying ahead in the journey. And I knew what, what to expect, but they didn't. And so what I was doing was preparing them for the road ahead. I wasn't doing that so that, when it got muddy, I'd be saying, I told you so, you shouldn't wear those sandals. What are you thinking? Why are you doing that? You dummy? Why are you doing that? You idiot? I, I wasn't saying, I wasn't trying to prepare them with the truth so that when we got on the journey and it was difficult, I could look back and say, I told you so. And that's not what Jesus is doing here. What Jesus is doing here is he's trying to give us an accurate picture of what our journey with him looks like. He's trying to give us an accurate picture. Remember, a few weeks ago, I talked about that he just got off the mountain of transfiguration with his disciples, and he's told it's time to go to Jerusalem. And the rest of Luke is about his journey to Jerusalem or the cross. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples for that, for that journey. He's, he's preparing his friends and his followers for, for the journey of what it looks like when you follow me. This is what it looks like. And we, we talked about how they started arguing about 
the greatest. And, and that's part of the journey is that our egos and our pride sometimes gets in the way of our journey with Jesus. And, and how do we deal with that? And how did Jesus deal with that? Well, this is another, another part of the journey where Jesus is trying to communicate to us, not so that we'll feel guilty or that, so that we'll work harder to be better Christians, but he's trying to explain the reality of the kingdom of God to us. He's trying to explain the reality of what it's like to follow me. That's it. It's that simple. Again, Jesus doesn't use guilt. He doesn't use shame to motivate the people he loves. He doesn't do that. But he also doesn't back away from the reality of what the cost will be when we follow him. Not because he wants to scare us and to to start trying to work harder, but because the blessings of his father's kingdom are so rich They are so rich that he knows if we stick it out, if we really stay with him, if we really trust him, that we will be blessed beyond what we can understand, beyond what we can measure. And so that is the context that these difficult sayings fall in. Now, there's lots of things that I could talk about tonight, about these three things. But basically, I just broke it up. Here are the three people. Here are the three examples. I'm going to teach about each one, and then I'm going to do a so what. So what does this mean to me? Do I have to sell my house and go live in a hole? I mean, I'm going to tell you what it means. I'm going to talk about what the kingdom of God really looks like and what it means to be following Jesus and be about building the kingdom. And then I'm going to talk about application. How does this matter to me directly? But first I want to talk about these three people. The first person he talks to, it says this. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Okay? Jesus wants us to be clear that following him will not be comfortable. Following him will not be comfortable. But he doesn't go further and say, so if you're comfortable, you're really not following me. He doesn't do that. A religious spirit will do that for you and make you feel guilty, but that's not what Jesus says. He wants us to be clear. Following me is going to be uncomfortable at times. It's going to be difficult. Our life will not look like other people's lives. As natural as it is for you to desire a home and for my father to provide a home for you, as natural as that is, like the foxes and the birds and how he provides for them, the reality is, is what is natural to the world is not natural to my father's kingdom. My father's kingdom is greater than the world. It doesn't look the same as the world. And so we shouldn't compare how we're living and what the world or what the world says we should look like as Christians to what my father says it will be like to live as my follower. It also shows us that Jesus chose to live a life that he had to trust his father to provide for him. That's a huge point. I mean, that might be the main point that Jesus is trying to get at. That if you want to follow me, then you need to learn to trust me. And it really doesn't have anything to do with selling our homes or how big our house is or we should feel guilty if we have a lot of money or we're we're providing for ourselves or something like that. It might just have to do with us trusting Jesus. And Jesus saying, yeah, if you want to follow me, well, I don't even have a place to sleep every night. I have to trust my Father in heaven every night for where I'm going to sleep, for my basic needs. And if you want to follow me, you need to learn that the journey I'll take you on will require It's not optional. You'll have to learn to trust me. 
and you can't trust me. And the very next part of chapter 10 is when he sends the 72 away. And this is why I think it's more about trust than it is anything else. He sends the 72 out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he tells them specifically, don't bring a purse, don't bring any money, don't bring a bag, don't even bring sandals. Because you need to trust me if you're about proclaiming my kingdom. And that's why I think that the main, that first person he's dealing with is the trust issue that he wants to communicate to us. The life of a Christian will be uncomfortable, even insane at times, out of control feeling to you, to us. But the believer will learn over time that no matter what our circumstances are, that we can trust Jesus. And it's usually only in those times of being uncomfortable that we can really learn to trust him. Because in the times that we're comfortable, we just kind of trust what we've done. The second person. To another person he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In the Jewish culture back then, they counted burial as one of the most important things that they should be about because uncleanliness was huge in that culture, just for practical reasons. If you let a dead dude lie around, you know, he's going to infect the whole town, and they'll get sick, and then they'll get sick, and you, know, and you could see the catastrophe of what could happen just for practical reasons, but also for ceremonial and Jewish reasons. All the way back, you can look all the way back to... to uh, whenever God was with Israel and talking about the burial process and the process of keeping things clean. It was huge. In the Jewish culture, burial, the burial process and burying the dead took precedence over the study of the law. It took precedence over the temple service, going to temple and worshiping God. It took precedence over the killing of the Passover sacrifice. It took precedence, and this is most important, over the observance of circumcision. I mean, it doesn't get any more personal than that, guys. That's how important. That's how important it was to bury the dead back then. But Jesus says, the pressing urgency of proclaiming my Father's kingdom is even more important than that. You can't even compare them. There are lots of things in your life and in my life that will compete with our relationship for God, with God. Lots of things. Good things and bad things. And many Christians choose a life that reflects a both-and perspective as as opposed to an either-or, a both-and. I want this and that. I want to trust God. I want to bury my family and go do proclaim the kingdom of God. I want this and that. Now, the reality is, is we all kind of have that attitude. And I'm not saying that so that you'll feel guilty. I'm saying that to make you aware that Jesus's perspective is it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Not because he wants us to start trying harder and feeling guilty about what we have. He doesn't do that, remember? It's because when it's all for him, the blessings are even that more abundant. The life is even that much greater. Jesus says to him, leave the dead to bear the dead, but for you, you go do this other thing because now you are different from them. You are alive. 
And Jesus is drawing a contrast to who this person used to be and who he is now. What is normal for the dead to do, those that are not Christians or those that are not following Christ, what's normal for them, let them do that. But that's not what you're supposed to do anymore because you're not dead anymore. You're alive. And you don't do those things anymore that you used to do anymore then an alive person would go hang out with dead people. It doesn't make sense. And, and I think, again, Jesus is drawing this sharp contrast to the reality that there's this more important thing for us to be focused on as people who are alive, and it's proclaiming the, and building a kingdom that is greater than anything on this earth. And again, Jesus is drawing an immediacy and an urgency to building this kingdom, and he's drawing a sharp contrast. And so I think some of the message for us for each of you, is that, you know, what are the things in your life that are competing for your time? What are the things in your life that are taking you away from proclaiming my Father's kingdom? And, and for each of us, that's a different thing. And so my challenge is not, again, so that we would compare ourselves with each other. And so some of us would, would feel more spiritual or more holy. I mean, we're all, we're all crap. We're all sinners. I mean, that's the reality. I'm not any different from you. I'm going to give you an example to demonstrate that at the end of, the, end of this talk. I'm not any different from you. And that's not why Jesus tells us. He tells us this because he knows the more of our eggs we put in his basket, the greater our blessings will be. It's not cause and effect. If you do this, then God will do this. But that's the reality of the kingdom of God. When you live in my kingdom, under my father's rules, and you trust me, then I will bless you in ways that the world, the dead, could never give a live person. The third person. Yet another person said, I will follow you, Lord. I will follow you, Lord. He didn't say it twice, I just did. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And this is the one where people just really turn the screws on us and really make us feel guilty. If you don't forsake your parents, oh, you're considering Christ, what does your parents think? Oh, they're not proving it? Well, you need to just bail on them. You don't, it doesn't matter what your parents say. If you don't forsake your parents, then you really don't love Jesus. I mean, I've heard that said. I've heard that taught. Jesus above everything, absolutely. But the commands of Christ will also, the commands of the kingdom will also not contradict other scripture, the whole council of scripture, which teaches us how we should treat not only our parents, but other people with respect, with love, with grace, with mercy. So again, that cannot be what Jesus is teaching here. That cannot be that. So I'm going to tell you what he is teaching here. And it's in the theme of the other two things. I will follow you, but I have to do this thing first. I will follow you, but I need to go do this or achieve this or accomplish this. The reality is, in our culture, in the Western church, in America, I don't know about the rest of the Western culture, in America, I did youth ministry for, for 15 years, and I would study about patterns and trends within the culture of youth. And one of the this is one of the trends that our ministry had to address, and it was this, that high school Christians, kids that were on fire and passionate about Jesus in high school, 80% of them would stop following Christ, lay down their faith in college, and not pick it back up again until they had children. 
I'll follow you, but just let me get through those fun years of college. I'll follow you, but let me marry that really cute guy. I don't care if he's a Christian. I'll follow you, but let me make a whole bunch of money and get a nice house. And then when I have a few kids, I'll start following you again, Jesus. I think that breaks Jesus' heart. I think it breaks his heart because that season of life more than any other is when we're making the most important decisions. I mean, think about it. I'm not going to go there. If you were that population, I would start talking to you about that, but I'm not going to do that. It is not uncommon, again, for that to happen in our culture. That's not uncommon for, for that to happen with us on a weekly basis. Something in the world glitters and sparkles real nice, and we go, Jesus, I'm following you, but let me take a few of my eggs and put them in this basket. And there's a host of things that we're communicating when we do that. There's a host of things. You know, that, well, this one thing I think, I want to trust it a little bit more than what you're telling me to trust. You know, this one thing, I think that it really will bless me. Let me pray about it, Jesus. Maybe it is from you. The kingdom of God often will interfere with your plans for life. That's the reality of the kingdom of God. That's a truth about the kingdom of God that you can take to the bank. The kingdom of God will often interfere with your plans for life. And Jesus wants us to understand that once you start following him, that you are a new person and that there is no going back to being blessed by your old ways. And that when you look over your shoulder... You might think that you'll find what you left, but you won't because you're alive again and you're looking back to dead things to find blessing and to find life. You might try, but people and things that once brought you comfort and love will now only cause you to leave the course and the blessings that Christ has for you. When you plow, not that I ever have plowed, but when you plow... The way it works is like this, is you have to have both hands. The plow kind of, there's like a thing down there. I don't know what it's called. It's like a blade. And it hooks up to these two wooden things, and it goes, and the wooden things go back like this, okay? And it's usually like an animal pulling the plow forward, okay? And your job is just to guide the plow. All you have to do is go in a straight line. That's it. That's it. But what happens is, as you can imagine, there's not like training wheels on a plow, Okay? And so it's wobbly, and, the, and it's in the ground. And so one of the things that happens is, that Jesus is trying to illustrate here, is when you grab the plow, you have to grab it with both hands. You've got to commit to the plow, or the plow will take you for a ride. And so you've got to commit to the plow, because the animal's not stopping. The kingdom of God is moving forward. The animal, the kingdom of God is moving forward. And when you get into the kingdom, you better hold on, because it's not stopping for you. You know, Jesus never one time turned around and went back for anyone. But he loved people, lavished them with love all along the way. That's the reality of the kingdom of God. That when you become a part of it, you latch onto, you hold on, you you have to hold on with both hands, all of who you are. It's all or nothing. And what happens is, so that's the first thing. If you take a hand off and look over your shoulder, the strength that you had here, what happens? It all of a sudden becomes weak. And what happens to the dominant hand? All of a sudden you're like looking over your shoulders like, and you're plowing in circles, turning left around the world. I mean, That's exactly what happens. 
And Jesus knows that that's what happens, is that you can't maintain the line. You can't maintain what you began when you take a hand off. The other thing that happens when you plow, and the reason you need both hands, is because there's all kinds of stuff in the ground. And what you're doing is plowing through the ground. And you're plowing through rocks, and you're plowing through roots, and you're plowing through different textures of sand. You're plowing through old pieces of the crop. And so, again, it's not, there's not training wheels on this plow, and so it's bumping along, and you have to stay focused. And all these things, as they come your way, Jesus knows. It's only when your hands, when you're fully involved in my kingdom, that you're going to survive the rocks, when you're, you're going to survive the storms, you're going to survive the bumps. It's only, when both of, it's only when you're fully involved in my kingdom that I can protect you and bless you and keep you from the bumps and the bruises and the, the nasty things that are bound to come our way in the world. The Christian life requires our full commitment. There's no room to look back. Either you are all in or you're not in at all. Either you're all in or you're not in at all. It is too difficult, and there's too many things will come your way that you'll have to adjust to that you won't be able to if it's half and half. Either we believe that Jesus knows what is best for us, and we really believe that, or we don't. But we can't have both. Okay, so what does this mean for us? You know, at this point you're thinking, if you're like me, you're thinking, okay, great. I usually feel like there are no hands on the plow and I'm being pulled by that animal down the thing face first in the dirt. I mean, that's usually what my life kind of feels like. Kind of chaos. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm trying to keep a straight line, but I'm always looking back. And da, 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 da. So, Anthony, how do I get a handle on this? Well, first of all, that's not how you are. That's a lie from the enemy. Because Jesus says, when you begin to follow me, which means if you've begun to follow Jesus, if he's the one that you trust with your life, both of your hands are on the plow. Both of your hands are on the plow. Jesus just doesn't want you to take your hand off the plow. Because again, why? Not so that you feel guilty and start doing all these things, but because he wants to bless you and he knows that life is rocky and it's hard. So what does it mean? First, we need to understand what is the kingdom of God. I've been talking about the kingdom of God, and for years people told me, well, talk about the kingdom, you know, Antley, the kingdom of God, X, Y, and Z. And I'd be like, what in the world are they talking about? The kingdom of God, what is that? What is the kingdom of God? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's a lot, I and mean, I can't get into it all now. But basically, in a simple way, the kingdom of God, when I say the kingdom of God, it means a kingdom where God rules. The earth is the kingdom of Satan, okay? And the pleasures of the earth, all the bad things that happen there, those are all a result of who he is. John 10 tells us that, you know, the, the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. That's why there's brokenness and sin and all the bad things in the world. Well, the kingdom of God is the exact opposite. The kingdom of God is like this. When God rules, it looks like justice. When God rules, it looks like peace. It looks like love and kindness. There's no pain and sickness and death and sin when God rules. God's kingdom is full of hope, rest, and peace. There's no oppression. There's no slavery. There are no addictions. There are no, there's nobody that is held captive to any evil desire. It is what Jesus came to bring on earth as it is in heaven. It is what the church is to be bringing on earth as it is in heaven. It is what you 
are to be bringing on earth as it is in heaven. That's your purpose in life. I talked about that last Sunday. You can get the CD. By, how do you do that? By proclaiming it, by speaking about it, preaching about it, and demonstrating it. By preaching what Jesus preached and doing what Jesus did. Okay? So think about the implications of what Jesus is saying when he describes what it looks like to follow him. It's not only about what you think, but more importantly, about what you're doing, how you're living. And if you're going to do the stuff of the kingdom, you have to be fully committed. To do the stuff of the kingdom, you have to be fully committed. When you become fully committed, you learn what Jesus is teaching in this section of, king, of the scripture. When you're committed, when your hand is on both sides of the plow, and you say, Jesus, I trust you. Now, that doesn't mean that your life looks all in order and everything. That's not what I'm talking about. It doesn't look like perfection. He doesn't require perfection of any of us. He only requires loyalty. He requires trust. That's it. And so this is what it looks like. When you fully understand that, what the kingdom of God is and the blessing of the kingdom, you understand what the scripture mainly is teaching, and that is this, that in my Father's kingdom, you will be comforted. You can trust him in all the situations of your life. That's person number one. Person number two, that in my Father's kingdom, you can be truly alive. The things in the world that were most important to you will not have the same value anymore. Why? Because my, what my Father offer, offers you is much more valuable, is, much, is so much more better than anything you could have experienced before his kingdom. And for person number three, you'll understand that in my Father's kingdom, you are no longer responsible for charting your path. You are no longer in charge of running your life. All the bumps, all the bruises, and all the curveballs that come your way, Jesus says, I will handle for you. Many of our struggles come as a result of not trusting Jesus. It comes, it comes because we try to work harder rather than trusting Jesus more. In his, the Father's kingdom, we tr- um, the his, the his Father's kingdom truly is what he promises. And so what happens is we dabble in the kingdom of God and we dabble in the kingdom of the world. And again, I'm not saying that so that I will convict you and make you feel guilty. I want to state the obvious. Remember how I started? I would tell my boys what to prepare for because I knew what was coming. And this passage of scripture is to encourage us. This is what you need to prepare for. These are the blessings that are coming when you trust me with all of your life. If you want more of what God has for you, then begin to trust Jesus with more of your life. And again, it's not about trying harder. It's about trusting more. All you have to do is trust me, is what Jesus says, and me alone. I do not seek perfection from you, just your loyalty, just your heart. Follow me, and I will give you the life to the fullest. The more of our life we trust Jesus with, the more of his kingdom we will reap. The more of his kingdom that we reap, the more we will spread it. But it does not begin by trying harder, by selling our homes and moving into holes. It doesn't begin by beating ourselves up because we're holding on to the plow with one hand. It doesn't begin by feeling guilty about the relationships that we have in the world. 
That's not where it begins. It begins in starting to trust Jesus and believing that his kingdom really does offer us the greatest blessings. I was praying a lot about this talk today. I really had a sense that God wanted to minister to people who felt lonely tonight. And as I prepared the talk, I didn't see how that was going to happen. And I still don't know how that's going to happen, but I really believe that that's one of the messages that God has tonight for folks who feel lonely tonight. And one of the things that this talk doesn't do is, is really put rubber or meat on it. It doesn't, it doesn't, I don't tell you what it looks like. But I can give you some examples of what it might look like. What does it mean to trust Jesus with your whole life? Trust that the kingdom of God really is what, what Jesus says that it is. Really that there is blessings. It means that, it means that whenever you're sitting down to take a test that you haven't studied for, and you know you're going to fail, but you could cheat on, that the kingdom of God is greater than the test, even if it means that you'll flunk the class. Regardless of the consequences of what might happen, you still trust that God is greater than whatever's happened, that he can pick up the pieces. It means that, this is me last night, Late last night, I get back from the life course. I'm exhausted. It's the place where I'm most vulnerable for spiritual attack because I'm exhausted. I've just stepped off the stage. And it's the time where I used, I used to, you know, I stepped off the stage in the sense that everyone's looking to me and listening to me for direction, and I have a lot of attention. And so when I step off the stage, I become very vulnerable in the sense that I feel like I deserve, I deserve some something, something. I don't know what that is. You know, it might be if I drank alcohol that I would go drink some. Or it might be whatever it used to be. For me, one of my vices used to be pornography. And so last night, I'm sitting there, I'm flipping through the TV channels. I'm, you know, I'm sitting there, and, and I have this opportunity. And there's a channel I could just go, I, I could just keep flipping, you know. And, and it, could, it could be there. And, 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 I, and I, this is literally what I think. Do I really believe what I believe? about God's blessings? Or, or do I just want to flip the channel and instantly gratify myself? Do I want to trust God with all my eggs? No one will know. God will forgive me. But do I really believe the blessings of his kingdom are greater than what I'll discover if I turn the next channel? Do I really believe that? You know, and I, and I ended up not turning the channel, turning the TV off, I went to bed, and I laid down, and I didn't feel any different. I was still kind of feeling ucky or whatever. Um, or just tired, exhausted. There wasn't any euphoria, euphoria or anything. There wasn't any Holy Spirit moment. I didn't see the face of Jesus. It would have been nice if I did. But I didn't. And I just had a sense of, you know, I believe the kingdom of God is greater. Even though I didn't feel anything. And it's often that we don't feel anything. But it's when you come into those situations in your life, when you're deciding what you're going to do, who you're going to date, how you're going to spend your money, where you're going to spend your time, the thoughts that you're going to have, it's when you come to those decisions that you ask yourself, what do I really believe? Do I believe, do I trust God with all of my life? Do I believe his kingdom and the blessings that he promises me for the long haul? Or do I want to take a few of those eggs out of his basket and trust them to myself? And again, I could give you lots of examples, but we each can think of what that is in our life or what that might be in our life. And tonight what I want to do when it's, as we come down for prayer is I want to give time for God to touch those areas of our life and to remind us that he does want to bless us, that his kingdom is present now. 
Scripture tells us the kingdom of God is within you. So much of what we have to do is just believe and trust Jesus, not work harder. That's not what this talk is about tonight. It's about Jesus wanting you to trust more of your life to him, whatever that might be. It might be an addiction to pornography. It might be a relationship that you have that you, you know, and you're acting out in physically with someone that you're dating. You know, it might be, it might be, you know, what you do when nobody's looking on the weekend. You know, it might be, um, you know, how you spend your money or how important it is for how people perceive you. Or it might be, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is for you. But whatever it is, we all have something. Because remember, we're all crap in one sense. But at the same time, we're all the kingdom of God as well. We are full of blessings. And God wants to pour more into us. We are hidden in Christ. And I think that he wants us to receive what he has tonight. So I want everyone to stand right now. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to say whatever that sin or that thing is in our life out loud at the same time. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but what, what I want us to do is I want us silently to shout with our hearts, God, I want to trust all of you. I want to trust all of me to who you are. The parts of my life that I feel like are out of control, the parts of my life that I don't understand why they're happening, where I'm, you know, it might be, you might have a part of your life that you are experiencing a tremendous amount of pain in. And you don't understand why. And God wants that tonight. He wants that. He wants all, your, all of the things in your heart that prevent him from blessing you. He wants whatever that is, whatever part of your life, whatever that emotion, whatever that feeling, whatever it is. I don't know what it is for you. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to come in and touch us, to come in and speak to that area of our heart. And you might be thinking, I don't know what that is in my life, either because there's so many of them or because you really, God's blessed you recently and you really are, the plow is going straight ahead. And that's a good thing. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to bless you. It just means that you might not know how he wants to bless you. And it may be that he doesn't speak to you about any part of your life, that he just pours out his spirit on you and blesses you, regardless of what those areas are. Because, again, the reality is when we taste life and the blessings of God, we won't look back over our shoulder anymore. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this teaching about your kingdom and that there is great hope in following you. And we're thankful, Jesus, that you were honest with us at the beginning, each of us, of what it would look like to follow you. And for many of us, we've been looking over our shoulder. For many of us, we haven't given you all of our life. There's been things that we've been harboring, either feelings. There's been pain that we're, we've been feeling.